0: Hello everyone and welcome to an all new episode of Insurance Uncovered, your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This week's episode of NAMIC's podcast is sponsored by New England Asset Management. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Hurricane Ian. Early estimates show near record setting storm damages and what that means for property owners in the state. plus the 2022 Mutual Factor. Now with five years of data, how the mutual insurers' market performance fares against others in the industry. But first, days after Hurricane Ian tore through Central Florida and South Carolina, the death toll continues to rise and hundreds of thousands of people remain without power. Catastrophe modeler Karen Clark and Company estimates nearly 63 billion in losses to private insurers which would make Ian the second most expensive hurricane ever after Hurricane Katrina. This week, more than two dozen insurers will visit the hardest-hit areas in Fort Myers and Port Charlotte to participate in insurance villages as a site for Floridians to file their insurance claims in person with their carrier. Insurers will also provide claim funds on the spot to cover additional living expenses for storm victims. Separately, U.S. officials have vowed to unleash a massive amount of federal disaster aid, help that Triple I's Mark Friedlander told Fox Weather, many people will be forced to seek because of the widespread lack of flood
1: insurance. The bottom line is. The majority of Florida homeowners do not have flood coverage. Mm -hmm. We saw higher take-up rates in the coastal counties that had the hardest hits from the direct strike of Ian. But inland, when you look at the catastrophic flooding in Metro Orlando, the take-up rates on flood insurance in most areas are below 5%, meaning virtually nobody has flood coverage in those areas. But it's such an important coverage for your financial well-being because this type of storm could ruin families, just absolutely devastate them financially and we're very concerned that there's so many homeowners that don't have flood insurance right now.
0: Meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis is warning Floridians about the high potential for predatory insurance scams in the wake of this disaster. Legislation was passed in 2019 to curtail predatory tactics by some vendors. But DeSantis says residents should remain wary of assignment of benefits language in contracts or any promise of free goods or services after the storm. During times of economic uncertainty, insurers are not only concerned with how inflation is affecting underwriting capital, but also with how a recession and subsequent economic downturn could impact their business and investment portfolios. With inflation at a 40-year high and interest rates near 7%, insurance companies are experiencing historical levels of unrealized losses in their investment portfolios. New England Asset Management's Chief Investment Officer, Jennifer Quisenberry, says there are steps insurers can take to mitigate some of the challenges that arise during periods of inflation.
2: Well, certainly the current inflationary environment is something that we have not witnessed in a long time. On the business side, we know that insurers, especially those in the personal lines, are struggling on the underwriting side as premiums have not kept pace with claims expense as repair and replacement costs have risen dramatically with inflation. And that will take some time to correct as insurers seek rate increases from different state insurance regulators and will also depend on the profile of their book of business, for example, annual, quarterly, or monthly pay cycles. Um, As for the investment side, insurers should be aware that inflation-adjusted yields or real yields have turned positive after a period of deeply negative real yields during 2020 and 2021. So in other words, Treasury securities are now delivering compensation above that of inflation expectations and are at the highest level in over 10 years. With the addition of credit spreads that have repriced to levels that are at or above fair value, insurers should be even more constructive in adding fixed income exposure. Traditional hedges such as Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities or TIPS and gold have proven to be suboptimal for insurance companies given their low levels of current income, zero in the case of gold. And more recently, gold has been battered by the strong dollar and higher interest rates. Others warrant caution, for example, equity investments in real estate, Require very careful asset selection against a backdrop of potential pitfalls in certain sectors, while equities, another inflation hedge, uh, are undergoing a bottoming process.
0: While the Federal Reserve is committed to restoring price stability, Chair Jerome Powell says the process will cause pain for households and businesses. However, Quisenberry says capital markets present the best reinvestment opportunities in the fixed income market in years. Neem suggests that insurers monitor these risks while taking advantage of current market opportunities with a bias toward quality. For five years, NAMIC has partnered with Aon to publish a report on the mutual property casualty insurance industry to assess its overall market performance. And this year's report found that the mutuals ended 2021 with strong performance overall, with a record surplus of more than 13% growth. And despite a challenging first six months of 2022, the industry saw a return to some pre-pandemic normalcy. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge breaks down the report with Aon's Patrick Abbey and discusses how mutuals fared against the rest of the industry.
3: It's been a few weeks since NAMIC's annual convention in Dallas, Texas, where the association unveiled the 2022 mutual factor. And as we've done in past years, we've invited one of the authors of the mutual factor report to join us on the podcast and talk about the latest findings. So joining me today is Patrick Abbey from Aon, NAMIC's longtime partner in the production of this important annual report. Thanks for joining us today, Patrick.
1: Yeah, Thank you, Neil. I appreciate your time
3: as well. So this is now the fifth time that the, this annual benchmark study has been done that NAMIC and Aon have worked together on. So tell us what makes this mutual factor for 22 reports stand out from the previous reports.
1: Absolutely. And I should start by saying that Aon has continued to be honored to be a part of this report and partner with NAMIC on this important report. And it's really interesting to think about this being the fifth year of its publishing and think about all that's happened over the past five years. And fundamentally, we're living in a more volatile world than we were five years ago. And if you look at the report over those five years, you see tremendous consistency in terms of the results and the performance of the mutual segment. And that really speaks to one overall balance strength, financial strength of the companies, as well as just them understanding their core operations and running their companies very, very well. And that's going to really pay dividends as we look to move forward uh, into the coming years as we look to work together to manage the volatility that we're dealing with today.
3: Yeah, no doubt mutual companies are sort of known for their stability, their durability. Some of them have been around for centuries, and that bears itself out in this report, no no question. So we know 2021 ended with mutual companies showing strong financial performance uh, for the whole calendar year. So give us a little details about how 2021 year end ended, and then we'll go into 2022 as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what you saw at the end of 2021 were consistent operating results, compared to the past five years. Consistent expense ratios, loss in LAE ratios, operating performance, again, demonstrating the sound core operations of the the mutual insurer segment. Um, And you also saw them uh, growing surplus faster than they have in years past. So very strong investment market led to a really strong end to 2021 with a number of carriers uh, publishing record results for themselves. So it was a very good end to 2021 which I know we're going to talk a little bit more about 2022 going yeah. forward, and things have changed a little bit. But 2021 was a fantastic year uh, for the mutual segment as a whole.
3: Yeah, so let's, it was a good year. We need good years occasionally, as this year has been a little different already in the first part of 2022. Economic situation has changed. Inflationary pressures are different. The weather patterns seem to be different. So let's talk about you know what we see in 2022 so far through this year and how things are looking.
1: Absolutely. So 2022 has brought a couple of really interesting phenomenon. Um, So we've had very early spring weather, an active spring season, particularly for the upper Midwest. So if you're a carrier riding in the upper Midwest, you've likely seen a lot of cat activity, and you're seeing it earlier in the year than you're used to seeing it. Um, So that was certainly unique. Um, Also, equity market volatility. So we talked earlier about 2021 finishing very strong, company surplus positions ending very, very strong. And then we've seen almost a new peril, this equity market volatility that's impacting companies differently, depending on how they've managed their investment uh, portfolio. And then, broadly speaking, inflation. You can't open the newspaper these days without reading about inflation. And that is impacting all areas of the business. So you're seeing uh, challenging auto physical damage results. So this is a line of business that carriers typically use to kind of be the ballast of their portfolio. Um, so that's a challenge. And then you've got the impact that that inflation is having on catastrophe events, reinsurer experience, and, and fundamentally, you know, the reinsurance that a lot of these carriers are needing to purchase. Um, as carriers are, have always been looking for growth or most most recently been looking for growth, today they don't need to write one new home or one new commercial building, and they are effectively growing. Mm-hmm. And so that's putting new pressures on insurance company operations and reinsurance company operations that we detailed a bit in the report.
3: Yeah, it's certainly a topic of conversation throughout the industry that auto insurance rates, for instance, are not built for $85,000 vehicles crashing into each other and having to be put back together again. And that certainly is the case that we see right now. So one of the new features in the report that we added this year, we try to do something with the report new every year. Uh, This year, we got some thought leadership research questions from the reinsurance sector in particular. This was something that that Aon, in fact, thought would be a good value additional to the report, and we agreed. So we did some interviews with some reinsurance leaders and and took their feedback. So what does that part of the report show us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, at the beginning of 2022, really after the January 1, 2022 (laughs) reinsurance renewals took place, we started to see a trend of particularly buyers of property catastrophe reinsurance looking to seek additional limit. So we started to see, not necessarily headwinds, but increased demand in the space that started um, at the beginning of 2022. And um, one of the things that we're lucky enough to have is we have a a client advisory board, we call it. So it's a group of um, senior executives from regional mutual insurance companies that we pull frequently just to understand what their concerns are. And, And what we started to see was the topic of reinsurance used to be a little lower on their list of concerns, and it started creeping its way up throughout 2022. Um, and you know, some of this is driven by what we talked about earlier—volatility in the equity market, putting pressure on balance sheets. Some of it has to do with some of the weather we've seen again happening earlier in the year. And then again, there's just a lot of um, press and a lot of talk about increased demand for reinsurance. And so, you know, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Chris Delhi, who's a, a longtime partner of Namics raised his hand and said, I think we should really um, talk with the NAMIC team about pursuing feedback from the reinsurers. Uh, Reinsurance is such an important part of of mutual companies' capital positions. Mutual companies, in turn, are fundamental to reinsurers' portfolios. And we felt like it was a great opportunity to try to shed a little more light on the thoughts of reinsurance leaders.
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting section of the report. I'm glad we were able to add it this year. It turns out that it it really is uh, interesting to get their feedback in a year when, when more carriers are, are putting more pressure on the reinsurance market. So let's talk about that just a little bit there. Capital in the reinsurance market. We've seen these ebbs and flows over the years new capital comes in Learns. This is a hard business to make money at and new capital goes out uh, of the reinsurance market Where are we now in terms of the capital positions of reinsurers? And what is the forecast for that?
1: Sure, so we talked a little earlier about equity market volatility and the impact that it's had on insurance company balance sheets It's also had an impact on reinsurance company balance sheets. So through the first half of the year You know, our estimate is that reinsurance capital is down roughly 10%. Now, it is important to note, reinsurers are some of the best risk managers in the world. Their capital position is very strong. I mean, we basically had 10 years running of of increase in their capital position. So they remain very strong. So at a high level, it kind of looks like a boring story. But underneath the surface, there's a lot going on at these reinsurance companies. So you've got evolving views of risk influencing where they're looking to take risk and deploy their capital. So that's kind of an internal force that's impacting the way they run their business. You also have the impact of third-party capital. So people that invest in reinsurers and give capital to the reinsurers to to use for uh, underwriting and deployment, their views of risk and risk, risk appetites are changing. Um, That also impacts the retrocession purchases that that reinsurers are making as well, and the products that they're able to use to smooth their results and, um, and protect themselves. So there's a lot of forces going on there. In addition to that, there are segments of the business, segments of the insurance market that are performing better than others. So reinsurers are finding themselves in a position where there's increased demand for their product, like we talked about earlier, And there's other lines outside of property that are performing really, really well. So you you read a lot about the strength of the casualty rate environment um, and the overall health of of many of the casualty lines. Many professional lines are performing well. Um, The expansion of the mortgage and credit market are giving reinsurers lots of opportunities to diversify their portfolios away from some of the core products they've been selling, like property reinsurance. Now, look, the good thing is is that the mutual segment is known to be long-term trading partners. And they've been very consistent. They've got trading relationships with many of these reinsurers for many, many years. So you know, the mutual segment is really well positioned to navigate a market right now where you're just seeing capital ebbing and flowing a little bit within every single reinsurance market. And some are making dramatic swings away from certain lines of business. And some are just doing some fine-tuning of their portfolios.
3: I always know when we have a good podcast, whenever we get the word retrocessionaire involved, <laughs> Absolutely. it really is a good reinsurance discussion whenever we can have that here for certain. So our audience, I know, is familiar with the impacts, broadly speaking, of inflation uh, and the way it affects our lives uh, at the moment. But let's talk a minute about the view of, of the particular phenomenon of social inflation and, and how it, it affects the industry how it affects the reinsurance discussion, uh, that, that entire umbrella of things.
1: Sure. So um, certainly social inflation came up in the reinsurance survey quite often. And part of that is fundamentally based on the, the, one of the products that reinsurers sell is, a, is an excess of loss product. So the insurance company is going to keep a retention. Think of it like a really large deductible. And they're, they're then seeding off the volatility of some of the larger limits they're looking to deploy in the casualty space. So if you think about um, the influence of social inflation, a lot of that risk or impact of social inflation sits within the reinsurance treaties that are being sold. So reinsurers are very keen to understand how insurance companies are approaching the topic of social inflation and navigating it. And we started to see this a number of years ago where the global carriers and the national carriers that were known to be deploying really, really large umbrella limits started to ratchet down the umbrella limits that they were deploying. And over time now, that's worked its way into the regional mutual segment, where that's a key topic of conversation with reinsurers now, is what are you doing to manage your overall limits deployed? The fundamental thought being more limit deployed is more limit that's exposed to a nuclear verdict or or something of the sort. So, you know, reinsurers are very in tune to the fact that there are parts of insurance company portfolios that need and warrant the larger limits. But they're also very keen to understand how insurance companies are approaching limit deployment, maybe how they're approaching or underwriting around certain jurisdictions that are known to have um, more difficult judgments. And then the other thing that's happening is they're really keen to understand how the synergies across insurance company operations are evolving. So you think about underwriting, actuarial, claims, distribution management. Everybody's got to be rowing in the same direction for insurance companies to kind of navigate this challenging situation. And so we see a lot more conversation happening around synergies amongst an insurance company operation. It's not just an underwriting discussion and and certainly it's not just a claims discussion as well, but as those groups work together and kind of evolve insurance company strategy and then ultimately how they go to market with their distribution partners.
3: Well, listen, Patrick, thank you for the partnership with Aon on this report. Uh, It's a valuable piece of work. We look forward to publishing it every year. Uh, we, we know the membership of NAMIC looks forward to it as well. It's really kind of a unique creature in terms of, of how, it, how it exists in the marketplace. The, those listeners can, can get the report on the NAMIC website, or, or, or the Aon website for that matter, and we encourage everybody uh, to download it and read it. Uh, And also then next year, we'll do it again. Absolutely. And we'll have another new angle for it as well. So thanks again for joining us, and thanks for the partnership with Aon. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. Thank you.
0: And that's all for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. A special thank you to our sponsor, New England Asset Management. We'll be back again on October 19th with more insurance news and perspective. So until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a terrific day.